Welcome to Courtside Moms. I'm your host, Wendy Sparks. Today, my guest is Lolita Ariza, mother of Trevor Ariza of the Miami Heat. This episode is filled with so much, so let's bring Lolita on the show. Welcome, Lolita, to the show. I am so blessed to have you here today to talk to us about your son, Trevor. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. (laughs) So let's start with Trevor's backstory. Tell us where he grew up and how he gravitated towards basketball. Well, I all I wanted sons and I wanted tall sons, tall black sons, by the way. <laughs> and there's a reason for that, actually. Mm-hmm. But um, I always knew his actual biological father was very is very athletic, and I wanted Trevor to be like him. Mm-hmm. So. Um, he was always into ball. Like ever since he was a baby, he wanted ball. That's the first toy I gave him was a ball. And my wow. sister Carmelita, she also gave him a ball and he gravitated to that ever since. And that was kind of the only thing he really loved was ball, any kind of ball. He played basketball, football, baseball. But I decided um, like when he was playing basketball, I mean, football at 12, he hurt himself and mm. The doctor said he was growing very rapidly at the time. So I took him out of football and just concentrated on basketball. So, and it worked. Wow. So what was it like for you when he had his growth spurt? Like, did you think that he would get to be six foot eight? Basically, yeah, because um, he was always very, very tall. Like at birth, he was six, two feet, um, two, uh, two feet at birth. 24 inches at birth. Yep. Yeah. Wow. And um, he, he consistently grew. He grew very rapidly. Like when he was, um, he grew 14 inches in one year span wow. from, I think from junior high to the, to the 12th grade. Mm-hmm. He grew from five, nine to six, three. Is oh that 12 goodness. inches? I think that 12 is inches. crazy. Wow. And, and his, How about that? Yeah. During his growth spurts, he had like back pains and knee pains and stuff like that. So that's what, um, how he grew with those right. types of ailments. Yeah. Wow. So you're, you're bringing me back to when my son was born. He was 26 inches. And wow. I never heard yep. of 26. Me neither. And when... <laughs> and for- <laughs> And my brothers are tall, but my father isn't. And it's just Mm -hmm. so funny because I never thought that my son would be so, so tall. And it shocked, it shocked me when he was three, the doctor told me that he was going to be six, eight, six, nine. And I just Mm -hmm. thought he was the craziest man on the planet. And listening to you, it's just funny because you don't, you don't know when they're going to grow. And my son too, he just shot up at one point um, in high school as well. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so Mm -hmm. So speaking of high school, uh, Trevor went to Westchester, which Mm -hmm. was known to have a great basketball program with uh, big time talent. So what was it like for you to attend those games? And at what point did colleges um, start approaching you and talking to you about your son? Well, it was really great to attend the games. And Trevor got his first letter in the the ninth grade, actually, from North Carolina. 
Mm -hmm. And they came up to the school and was um, looking at his grades and all that stuff. But, and then the letters just stopped pouring in after the um, 10th grade. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. Um, Do you remember the letters that you got, like from which schools? Oh yeah, he had a bunch of letters. Like we had a whole room full of tall boxes with letters. I think he still has some of them, but like he had, oh man, over <laughs> 5,000 letters. Oh my goodness. So yeah. what was that like for you? Like what was college recruitment like for you both? Like how did you sifle through all those all those letters and we didn't try read to make them. a decision? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, read them. He just knew which schools he wanted to go to and chose the top five, which was um, UCLA, University of Florida. Well, University of Florida was top on his list, actually, at first, because UCLA was actually recruiting Evan Burns. Okay. Because he was the guy in Los Angeles at the time. He was the guy from Fairfax. He had the body of an NBA player, but he didn't pan out. So, Coach Levin, who recruited Trevor, you know, Trevor was actually Mr. Basketball of California at the time. His, yes. his school won um, uh, champion, um, state championship. Actually, he right. did two times in a year. I mean, in the two years, his 11th and 12th grade years. Right. And then he also won um, four, four city titles, his whole four years at Westchester. Okay. And um, his accolades. He also got um, City of Palms champion when he was in the 11th grade. Now that was very controversial for the players that were on his team because at the time, Westchester had Hassan Adams, Brandon Heath, who could shoot the board, the ball from half court. And they had all these big time players that they thought were going to the NBA. So when they went down to Florida, Trevor won the um, MVP and they all got mad at him because but they didn't but the coaches knew what they were looking for the college coaches were the were the judges at that event absolutely yeah absolutely. so well so in the end when you're going through all these letters you did come to decision and <laughs> yeah we came to decision <laughs> and UCLA was yes yeah, so tell us what was so special about UCLA okay I deviated because of Evan Burns I'm sorry what did you say, honey? So UCLA was the final choice. So yeah. tell us, why did he decide? Why did Trevor say, you know what? In the end, I'm not going to be a Florida Gator. I'm going to go to UCLA. Like, what made him decide that? Well, it was home, and I wanted him to stay home so I can go, you know, see the games. It was right down the street from the house. Nice. You know, actually, Trevor just moved in. And, and he, got, he went there because of Coach Levin. You know, Coach Levin recruited him, but then shortly got fired after he committed to UCLA. So yeah. it was still an option. So he stayed. And I can imagine as a mom, you know, you, you want your you want your son to stay close to you, and especially at a at a at a at such a young age. So I can imagine mm -hmm. all the letters pouring in, but you're probably saying, you know what, I just rather he stay with me a little a little bit longer, just to get a little bit older. I mean, yeah, well. <laughs> I wanted to go to the games, you know, it was mm -hmm. probably, you know, and he wanted to stay here as well, you know, so it, it worked out for him. Okay. The choice was, you know. Yeah. So yeah. tell us about UCLA and his time there. How was it and how was it for you? 
Well, honestly speaking, he really didn't spend that much time at UCLA. Right. He was excited yes. to move into the dorms at first. And then, because we lived like UCLA, we lived straight up the same. You take our street and go straight to UCLA. Yeah. All the way down to Westwood Boulevard. So he was on campus at for about maybe three weeks, four weeks, and then moved back home. And, you know, it wasn't permitted for a freshman. They wanted the freshman to be on campus, but he just wanted to stay home. So I drove him to school every day. Oh, okay. But he only stayed there for two semesters, actually. Yes. So during his time there, um, he decided to declare for the draft as a freshman. So what mm -hmm. drove him to make that choice? And were you both ready for him to make that next potential step? Yes, he, he wanted to make that choice because of the coach. I mean, yeah. we didn't think the coach at the time had his best interest at heart. So yeah. we spoke to the coach prior to that coach Levin and he said, well, you know what? put two feet in the bucket and let the chips fall where they may. So we did. And then we got him ready for the draft. We had the press conference and it's 17 years later. You know, yes. when you feel something that you're driven to do, you should just do it. I love that, that you're saying that because sometimes people just don't realize that, you know what, sometimes you're just jumping in faith. Right. You're in a situation and you're not sure if that's the right one for you. So maybe sometimes it is better just to move on and hope and see what happens. So, so good for him and good for you mm -hmm. for, for making that leap as a family and saying, you know what, thank you, UCLA, but we're ready now to go somewhere else and try something different, which is really important right. as a player, right? Um, right. So how did he prepare for the draft? Because now he's a freshman, he's so young, he has to get ready. So what did he do? Well, we first we went and got an agent because we were serious. Yes. And then the agent had people that he worked with that got him ready. Rico Hines, who's now one of the assistant coaches in the NBA. He was Trevor's yes. coach, trainer. Yes. And Rico Hines got him ready for the NBA. Okay. Rico Hines and um, um, Todd Remazar was the agent at the time, which we didn't keep that agent long. It was, it was even before he started his first game, we had a new agent. So I guess we'll get to that. But Rico Hines got him ready for the draft. Okay. So speaking of agents, because this is an important step, um, mm -hmm. because I want people to understand the importance of having an agent in your child's life at this point when you're trying to get them, when, you're, when the trajectory is, is to get to the NBA. So mm -hmm. how important was it for you to find the right agent? And what did you need from from that particular agent that's going to represent you and your family? Well, to be honest with you, the reason we need an agent is because Trevor wasn't, didn't have the height that some of the guys had at the mm -hmm. time. Like Trevor, I believed in my son. He believed in himself and a few others. Like there yeah. were people like Darrell Wright at the time. There was, yes. um, uh, a lot of the young, back then when Trevor came in his draft, it was the high school frenzy. LeBron James, Dwight Howard, yes. um, all those guys. No, they, LeBron and, and, and um, Dwight came out a year before Trevor. Right. But in Trevor's year, it was a high school frenzy then. And Trevor, even though he was just as young as they were because he went to college at 17, 
He was never held back. I didn't believe in any of that. If you're going to be who you are, you're going to do it in your length of time that you have to do it. Because most of the kids who were held back for basketball really did not make it. Yeah. If you think about it. Yeah. So Darrell Wright went to um, prep school Mm -hmm. and Trevor went to college. So Darrell Wright, I think, came out 19th. And then there was Josh. Mm -hmm. Josh. um, What's that guy named? Josh. um, Josh. Oh, I can't remember his last name. It escapes me. They had Leon Poe and all these guys. And Trevor actually went number 43 yes. to the New York Knicks, who he never even um, uh, played for. But as it relates to the agents, I was going to say that um, in Trevor's case, he needed an agent. But if you're LeBron James, you choose an agent if you want to. LeBron really did not need an agent yeah, because he was very valuable to any team in the NBA. He could have chosen, he could have chosen which team he wanted to go to and everybody would have jumped, you yeah. know? So some players need agents and some don't. No, that's you a really, really good point. You really, really, really do not need an agent. You really don't want you, like right now, Trevor really don't need an agent Yeah. right now in his established career, but he's always had agents throughout his career, but you really don't need them. Well, if you... Go ahead. Sorry. No, no. I I see what you're saying. Um, my thing is, I guess maybe at the beginning, just to make sure you can. I guess as a parent, you know what I mean. Like you need help getting your son to a certain level, right? So for me, for yeah. example, I needed an agent um, because I didn't know, and I wasn't sure, and I didn't know anything about negotiating. That was just me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what do I know about going to a team and making sure that my son is working out for these teams? Like my son needed to work out. Um, and I don't know how many teams he worked out for, um, for before the draft, which he ended up going undrafted. Um, but it is to me an important factor. How many teams did your son work out for? I, and I'm thinking a good 10, I believe. I mean, he, mm-hmm. wow. And I remember that. I mean, that poor child lived on an airplane, you know what I mean? And hotels for weeks before the draft. Mm -hmm. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And it was tough for him physically, but in my story, I couldn't have done it without an agent, but I do see what you're saying later on, because at this point, like your son, he's about 16, 17 years in the league. He can do it on his own now. I mean, he has more knowledge. There you go. Mm -hmm. More knowledge. But Mm -hmm. I mean, at the beginning, um, I'm happy that I had someone that was able to at least guide us and at least teach us a little bit about what needed um, to happen. Well, the difference for me is, oh, sorry, did you want to say something else? No, go ahead. The difference for me is I had mentors throughout this process, you know, because if you know your son is going to the NBA, a bunch of people come calling. Mm -hmm. So I was able to choose people like Reggie Theus, Fred Slaughter, God rest his soul. Um, these people had already been in the NBA. Fred Slaughter had already been an agent. So I sought out mentors to kind of teach me what I needed to know because Amen. it has been my experience as a single mother raising her son that at 17, they want, if you see, if they see your child, it's a system that's set up for your yes. child. As soon as she turns 18, boom, they want to take them from you. Mm-hmm. You know, so so now you have all these people like managers, agents, financial managers. You have all these people in place that comes along 
Now is your time for your child to go. And then they try to change them and they try to make them different. And so you have to have a very strong foundation in order to stay focused because a lot of the young men, they change. Oh, for sure. For sure. They really do. Of course. And they need strong parents. Um, Right. You know, in your case, you needed to be strong to make sure that no one was there to kind of change the trajectory. You knew where you needed him to be. And like for me, I had to make sure that because I had a lot of people coming at me too. Right. And they kept saying, oh, well, don't worry, we're going to handle it. But I didn't like the way they chose to handle it. So exactly. I had to, and I had a lot of questions to ask because here um, I'm coming from Canada. So I didn't know a lot of the colleges. I didn't know a lot of the coaches or I didn't have many mentors. The mentors that I had in Canada didn't know that much more than I did at the time. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. I had to find people um, and then try to build a level of trust. So I love the fact that you said, you know, you were able to find those mentors and make sure that Trevor is at least on the right path. I mean, you never can dictate what's going to happen, but at least you were going the right direction. So I love the fact that you as a mom, you were, you were really involved um, in your son's career at the beginning, which is, which is not a lot of parents are. Right. I was very involved at the beginning. Very, very, very involved. Like I had, um, even from when they were playing um, traveling ball, we were at Westchester Park practicing. And um, the coach from 40 Stars, who became the big basketball travel team around California and the United States because they won a lot of games, then uh-huh. they became big headed. So when we came back from Venezuela after the death of my, my son, who passed away in Venezuela, um, when we went back to the team, they didn't have any more love for Trevor. Trevor was, mm. um, they had all the local players on the team. Anybody who was anybody was on the team at the time. So when we, so I was known as the mom who was like, I, they call me the mom that was like, in my mind, what I was thinking, I'm not going to let anyone take my son's confidence. So I always prepared him mentally. So there were times when I would make him leave off the bench and just leave out the gym. Like, like oh. when we went to Vegas, uh, all the new before it was just my son Trevor, this kid named Richard Cobb, who was the best player coming out of high school in the ninth grade, but he fell off, which most players do. Most players fall off, yeah. you know. So Cedric Bozeman, he fall off. He was McDonald's All American. So, um, so we're uh, playing when Trevor was one of the original players of the team. We leave for a month. We come back. They have other players on the team. And now Trevor doesn't get to play until a minute and 34 seconds into before halftime. I'm like, no, take yeah. that shirt off and let's get the heck up out of here. You could have heard a pin drop in the gym. And I kind of did that like three times. I did it three times because all three times it was necessary. Yeah. So it, and it all paid off because Trevor is the only one who made it to the NBA out of all those kids on the floor. Like there were, there were a, a, a gentleman who coached the team and he had all his kids play and he had his friends' kids play and he wouldn't play Trevor. And I left the gym that day. So what's for you is for you. You know, no one can take it away from you, you know? So it was a lot of that. And even the coach at UCLA, you know, we didn't, we weren't really fond of one another. You know, Ben Holland, we weren't fond of each other at all because he told me I was too much involved in my son's life after he came from a meeting at West at um, 
His son went to school at Brentwood. He just came from a parent-teacher meeting from his son, but told me I was too much involved in my son's life when he declared for the draft. And that's a whole story how that all fell into place. Like we were in his office hmm. and he said, Trevor is not on the lips of any general managers. He said, you can call Stu Jackson. No, he said, Trevor is not even invited to Chicago. At the time, I didn't know where Chicago was. I'm just going to show you how things fall mm -hmm. into place yeah, for absolutely. you. Absolutely. Absolutely. At the time, I didn't know where Chicago was. So I'm like, what's Chicago? So he said, you can call Marty Blake. You can call Stu Jackson. So I'm like, give me Stu Jackson's number. He actually gave me the number and he was spitting, spit coming all <laughs> out of his mouth. He was red as fire. He was screaming to the tip of his voice. So he gave me the number after he calmed down. So I called Stu Jackson. I'm like, hi, Mr. Jackson. Will you invite my son to Chicago? He said, who's your son? So I said, Trevor Ariza. So he said, hold on. So he pressed his phone down, obviously, whatever he did. And he came back. He said, I'll see what I can do. And in three days, we had the invitation for Chicago. I love that. Man, I That's wish I could have done that on draft night. <laughs> I wish on draft night I could have called the team and said, listen, hi, I'm Wendy. <laughs> But good for you for, yes, and Stu for Jackson, taking matters in your hands. Stu Jackson sent my son his invitation. And that's where all the coaches get to see you, all the scouts. Yep. So, so once Trevor declared for the draft, mm -hmm. he had 15 workouts. Okay. The only team he didn't work out for was New York. Oh, okay. So that's interesting um, because he ended up playing for he ended up the Knicks. Getting drafted. He, he ended up getting drafted by the New York Knicks. But before we get there, take us to draft night. Like, where did you watch it and who was with you? Okay. So draft night, we were at an apartment where we rented in Westchester. And um, it was Trevor, his friend Marcus, all his, we had a draft party at the apartment. Nice. Nice. And, and we saw his name came up on the ticker, but Isaiah had already called before that. And he was on the balcony speaking with him. So it was very exciting. It was very exciting for him. At least he got drafted, you know, so yes, yes. that made, yes. that made him feel good. And then he's, and then now in his draft, there's nobody in the NBA except him and maybe one or two other, maybe, maybe nobody else. Wow. No, Dwight Howard. No, but Dwight Howard wasn't in his class. Who was in the NBA that was in his class? Maybe not, maybe one or two other people. Yeah, I have to look and see the year. Um, and they had the hype. That year, I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, they had all the hype. Well, it's nice to see that he was able to maintain um, himself for, for this long, which we'll get to, um, mm -hmm. which we'll get to um, in, in a few moments. But so your son was drafted 43rd. What was that like for you now? And you're sitting there and you're watching it on the TV and you're like, oh my God, like my son's name just got called. I mean, at this point, who cares what number? My son's name got called and my son is going to be playing the New York Knicks in the NBA. Well, just like my book said, my son, Trevor Reza, number 43 to the New York Knicks. Together we've made it from tragedy to triumph yes. you know that was triumph for him that was something he worked for his whole life and now at his age of he was 18 at the time he gets drafted to the new york knicks and he actually prophesied that he was going to get drafted to the new york knicks oh okay he did oh so that was like his that was his expectation 
He wanted that. He manifested it. Yeah, because and then he be, he made history for New York. He was the the youngest player to mm -hmm. start for the New York Knicks. Yes, you know yes. so. Yes, at that time he was the youngest player to play to actually wear a, a Knicks uh, uniform. Yes, and also he had adversity in New York with Larry Brown. That was a lot to go through. Okay. You know, so his so, career wasn't all peaches and cream. He had to work very hard for everything he's gotten. Absolutely. And also he's shown his value to all the teams he's been on. He's the most traded player in the NBA as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. So yeah. when he's playing with the Knicks, how is it for you to finally see your son get his chance to play alongside some players that you grew up watching? Well, Penny was, was his idol. Mm -hmm. And he got to play with Penny. Mm -hmm. Uh uh, he actually used to go to Penny's house with his godfather, Sam Watson, in the summertime in Vegas. I mean, in Phoenix, when Penny played for the Sun. So he had already been acquainted with Penny. I actually have a picture of Shaq when we lived in Australia, when Shaq was 24, and Trevor and my sons with the babysitter is on the picture. Aww. And Trevor was only eight years old. And moving Isn't forward crazy? in his life. Mm -hmm. Yes, and moving forward in his life, he's playing basketball with them and against them. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah, I was happy. <laughs> I was happy for him. Mostly I was happy for him, you know? Yeah, of course, of course. So becoming an NBA player comes with so much changes, right? So yeah. mm -hmm. were you as a family prepared for everything that comes along with it? I mean, you have a pro athlete now. There's a lot of fame, money. There's so much involved now. Were you guys really prepared for that at, at that time? No, we didn't know what to expect. You know, you don't, you think your child's been playing basketball his whole life. So now we're going from one extra, one transition to another, but right. the transition to the NBA is a whole different beast. Yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah, mm -hmm. we're going to get to that. Actually, you know what? I'll, I'll ask you now. So what was that transition like? You had a lot of mentors in your life, but how did everybody help you now um, ease into this new life that you're about to live now? Well, see, I didn't, I wasn't the type of mom who moved with her son. I had another son as well that I had to raise and he was still in high school. So I, I, I was confident enough that I did a great job with raising Trevor. And so I just sent him off to New York as a young man into the NBA. And thus far, you haven't heard anything as relates yeah. to his character or his career or him not doing his part with his job, you know? So I felt confident enough that he was, mature enough to handle that and he's proven that he could yeah so you felt so, that i mean you look at la and new york i mean they're ridiculously different mm -hmm. um so did you i know you didn't move with him but were you there to at least assist i visited him with, i decorated yeah. the apartment i um i was there you know i i went as often as we could yeah yeah, he came home every summer and we all lived together in the beginning when he came home for a couple of years, he'd come back home and we'd all, we spent a lot of time together. Right. So his off season, yeah. he would come home um, mm -hmm. to Westchester with you, which is nice. I mean, you no, know, we didn't live in Westchester. We lived in the Valley for a few years. After okay. That. Okay. Well, he regardless bought a house. of wherever yeah. you are is home, right? So right. <laughs> mom mm -hmm. is home. Doesn't matter where you are. You know, to meet our boys tend to find us. Right no matter where we are. So, so what was his rookie year like, um, for you as well? And at, at that time he was known to have been the youngest player, like I was saying earlier. Um, mm. so how did he transition to now becoming and developing into a pro? 
Okay, so that's the chapter in my book as well. It's called The Jump. Because most most players don't really transition well from, from little mm -hmm. league to high school to to college to to the NBA. At some point they fall off along the way on different levels. Right. So obviously he's transitioned very well from college to the NBA because he's kept his job, he's kept his starting position, he's still starting after 17 years. So his transition has been very, very, very well, obviously. He's, he, um, he plays into his roles. He has a great basketball IQ and he does his job well. You know, he, he, he compliments other people on his team. Now, God bless Kobe and I respect him with all my heart. But if you look back at that game and I'm bold enough to say it, and who wants to argue, argue. It can be arguably, it can be facts, it can be fiction. Mm -hmm. But I believe my son should have gotten the, the MVP of the um, finals. And the reason I believe that is because if you go back from the Denver series, they wouldn't have gotten past the Denver series if he hadn't stolen the ball from Carmelo Anthony and Chauncey Billups twice. And then you go to the finals and then the Utah series as well. And then you go to the final series, they were down 15 uh, with, I think, a few minutes left in the first half. He shot three threes and then passed the ball on the wing to Derek Fisher to shoot the other three. And then they went into the, um, the second half up by one. And then he was very, very, very effective, very, very involved in that championship. And then for them to not renew his contract and go with Rana Test was like a slap in the face. And he was, I didn't like that at all. That's the part out of all of it. That's the part that upset me the most. Yeah, that's right. Because after winning the championship, yeah, he was traded uh, shortly after, no? Well, he wasn't traded his contract. Oh, his contract spot. was up. That's right. Because he, he became mm -hmm. a free agent. Um, right. Well, let's just go back for a sec because your son still won a championship and that's really every player's dream, right? I mean, they play, mm -hmm. but they still mm -hmm. want to win a championship. And I love the fact that you're, de you're detailing what happened at the games, which is great because not a lot of people do. So it seems like you're very involved. I mean, it's so exciting when you're watching your son play and then realizing, oh, wait a minute, we're actually going to win. So what was that like I love like basketball. Yeah, I love basketball. I always was fighting with the coaches. Like... <laughs> <laughs> You're that mom, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was that mom. I was always fighting with the coaches. I was always like, and they would tell me, did you know Trevor did this? Because they would be hiding stuff for him and then he would get benched. And I would get like, well, I would be like arguing with them about why he's benched because he would, would have done something. He wouldn't have told me. And then the coach would have to squeal on him, you know, and tell me why he didn't play that game or something. You know, but I'd be fighting with the coaches up at Westchester, up at UCLA, all from the Little League, all the way to, I never fought with the coaches in the NBA, though. I knew that it was time for me to step back. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah at one point, eh? You're like, yeah, I'll just, I'll say nothing. <laughs> yeah, I said nothing. Well, when we get to the fun facts, yeah, you're going to answer that question for me. So this is going to be funny, but... <laughs> But still, let's. I, I want to know the championship. I mean, how did you feel as a mom when you're sitting there? Were you at the game? Well, you know what? No, I was actually walking the stage with my second degree um, in um, business 
business uh, um, accounting. I was actually graduating. Oh. Um, and he was winning his championship. I was getting my second degree. Wow. I was accomplishing something from my life. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I like would have you loved to have been there. I wasn't there though, but I was happy for him. And I, and yeah. I love that because at one point as moms, you know what I mean? We have to figure out our own lives. We have to mm-hmm. sometimes just raise our kids, raise these pros, but yet you have to live your own life. So exactly. I love the fact that you still did Lolita and I did. you were able, yeah. Um, so many players in the NBA struggle to find a home or can't cope with the business side of the league. So what can you attribute to Trevor's success in playing for over 16 years or 17 years mm-hmm. in the NBA? Well, to give an example of the Larry Brown situation, that was really, really tough. That was tough mentally, physically on my son. That took a big toll on him. I had to be on the phone with him all the time. He lost weight. He was mentally like going through it because Larry Brown really, 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 if you look back at those tapes, what Larry Brown did, he called him delusional. He he was all in the media, but at the end of the day, Larry Brown ended up apologizing to him because it actually had nothing to do with Trevor. What had happened was Isaiah Thomas was the president of the New York Knicks and Larry Brown wanted that job. So Trevor was the only draft pick for Isaiah Thomas that year. So Larry Brown had to go after something that Isaiah did in order to get at Isaiah because Larry Brown told Isaiah to move Trevor down to the D-League. He did. He did. And Larry Brown stopped starting Trevor, remember? That's crazy. And then Larry Brown got fired, I think, from New York. Okay. And then... I don't remember the sequence of it, but, oh no, no, that's not what happened. Travis agent, David Lee at the time, called up Isaiah and he said, if you love this kid, release him and trade him. Yeah. So Isaiah said, I do love him, create the buzz. So David Lee created the buzz and Trevor went to Orlando out of New York. That's how he got out of that situation from. Okay. So that's how he, who was traded to Orlando um, from New York. That's right. And I think he played for Orlando, I think for one season, I believe. Right. It was a season and a half. Yes. Even. That's right. That's right. You know, cause it started out with Lenny Wilkins. Oh, okay. You know, there's so much politics um, that are involved in basketball that a lot of people don't know. And there's so much backstories. Um, Right. And sometimes as parents, it's, it's tough to deal with um, ourselves, um, and then trying to guide our kids just to make sure that they stay level-headed because it, it's, it's a lot and they're young. These are mm-hmm. young men that just came out of high school, maybe played a couple of months or a year, you know, out of college. They didn't really mm-hmm, get time mm-hmm. to really develop mentally. And then here they're put in these big boy situations and it's hard to fathom. And I, and, and I'm happy that you're saying this because people don't know. And it's they important to see the pressures um, that our sons have to deal with because it's a lot. Nobody wants to get traded, regardless. It's tough. It's a tough situation when you're playing, you're playing your best, and all of a sudden you're being told, yeah, you're going you're gonna to go somewhere else. Unless you well, I, I see that differently. I see mm-hmm. that differently me, because in my, son, okay, in my son's case, him being traded wasn't because he just 
traded. He's and in his situation with the Larry Brown situation, he was traded because of his mental health. In that situation, he wanted to be traded. Mm -hmm. But in the other situations, he was traded because he made the teams better. The teams had value for him and every team wanted him on their team because if you look at the teams he's on, they got from nowhere to somewhere, including um, the Wizards. When he mm -hmm. went, most players feared going to the Wizards at some point because you know when you go to the Wizards, your, your, your career is over. They send you to the Wizards so you can sit down. That was the knock on the Wizards, you know? But yeah. when he went to the Wizards, he brought them, he helped to bring them out of the hole they were in and brought them to the final. You know, they almost won the championship. So teams vie for his affection, literally, you know, so he can make them better. So in his situation with being traded 11 times in the NBA, the most traded player was not because of the other stigmas that goes along with the trades. Yeah. In my yeah. opinion, yep. you know, because some players get traded because they don't play anyway and they just in the NBA for bait, you know, but in his situation, it's not like that. But, you know, there's lots of players who's not in the NBA who's better than players that are in the NBA. Oh, for sure. For sure. You know, that is uh, facts. So there are many talented players in the world, but that doesn't exactly. mean that you're going to play or stay in the NBA. That doesn't mean you're going to, I'm sorry. No, baby. no, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I said, get past the first contract. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's so. so true. Some players have a three-year career, sometimes a one-year career. They end up in the G League or overseas and they stay there. So mm -hmm. there are tangible skills that don't show up on the stat sheet. So what can you tell us about how Trevor approaches every year? mentally and physically. Okay. Well, Trevor works really hard. And I mm -hmm. always refer back to that Larry Brown situation, like that made him mentally tough. And that was a real great thing for him to experience yes. his first year in the NBA. That was the toughest he had to be in his whole career, you know, because Larry Brown just came in and just sat him down for no reason at all. And it had nothing to do with him as we found out as time went on. But, um, you just have to be always ready, always be ready. Like when he wasn't, like Trevor just started playing for Miami a few months ago and he had, cause he opted out of the bubble, he wasn't on the team. Right. So he started playing for Miami, but he stayed ready. He didn't sit down home and wait. He was in the gym every single day. So his work ethic is phenomenal. He has an, a, a great work ethic and he's always been that way. Wow. How do you stay involved in his career now? as mom? Well, I don't. I don't because I'm, I'm ready to live my own life. Like That's I'm right. doing my own thing. Like I, like I said, I have that book coming out yep. soon. It's called the working title right now is they say I couldn't, but I did a single mother's guide to raising a champion. Beautiful. So that's the working title right now. I'm working on my restaurant. It's called grits and topping. I had a, um, tasting yesterday and everything went really, really well. And where's that going to open? I'm going to open the first one here in Los Angeles. I'm franchising them. Nice. And I make all sorts of different kinds of grits dishes. It's not like just white grits. It's different kinds of grits dishes. Like yesterday, if you care to hear, would you like to? Of course. What I, what I made yesterday? Yes, tell me. Okay, okay so the first course, we had um, grits waffles. Mm -hmm. It's different. With... with um, 
have eggs and chicken sausage, of course. And then the second course we have was a grits quiche with chicken apple sausage. Mm. The third course we had, we had um, um, chili cheese jalapeno grits fries. Wow. And then, and then the main course we had um, a lobster grits cake with curry shrimp and fried plantains. And then two appetizers I served um, corn fritters and potato salad. See, I'm from Turks and Caicos. So it's, it's the, the, the cuisine comes from there. And I had other things, but they were so full, they couldn't <laughs> eat anymore. So I had to replan for them to come back for the main courses as well. So, wow. and I made everything from grits. It's just amazing. And everybody loved everything. Everybody were pleased with the textures because that's why I had the tasting. So I had about right. 11 people at the tasting. Well, that's nice. So during the Q&A, everybody was happy with everything. They didn't want me to change nothing. So you're saying that you're planning to make this a franchise. Um, once you open yeah. it in L.A., are you like, are you going to franchise them within L.A. or are you looking to go outside, like out of your state? All over. They can get them wherever they want because grits and toppings, think how unusual that is. And you yeah. have all these different, different grits dishes and, and it's yeah. really great. It's, it's very delicious. It, you don't even know it's grits. Well, well, with the grits waffles, you don't think it's great. right. Well, I'm moving to Connecticut, so hopefully there'll be a, a restaurant there one day. So <laughs> maybe you can franchise one. How about that? <laughs> you never know. That's you it. Never Mom, know. Mom's working together, right? That's what we exactly. do. Exactly. Exactly. So tell me about your book. Well, it's being edited right now. I have a, a ghostwriter. Actually, I gave mm -hmm. her all the stuff and have her make it make sense, and she's yep. working on that. I plan to have it launched this next basketball season around November. And what are you hoping to get from this book? Well, this book is actually a hand guide to teaching upcoming moms and parents, dads as well, the do's, the don'ts, what to avoid, what not to avoid, you know, what to do, what not to do. Well, you know, just giving my honest opinions about my experience. Right, right, that is so important. And I, yeah. I see us as testimonies Mm -hmm. um, for up and coming parents, like you're saying of, um, amateur athletes, um, all we can do is tell them what we went through. And I like to share the bad part as well, just so that mm -hmm. they can do what they can to avoid that. So when I look at you as moms, I'm like, that's beautiful that you're writing a book so that you're giving somebody really hope and an, op an opportunity to look and see how they can make things better for their son or daughter as they're growing and um, trying to become a pro athlete. So good for you. So please yeah, let us know when the book comes out because we would love to put that on our social media too and promote you. Thank you. I appreciate Absolutely. that. So at this stage um, in Trevor's life, what are the most important things to him, both personal and career-wise? Well, I can't answer that. You know, that's something you have to ask him. Yeah, I guess. It's true. You it's know, always your but, opinion, right? So. Yeah. Well, um, for him, I think he's winding down. You know, he's when he's been 17 years, he's probably tired. You yeah. know, like he's probably ready to relax, enjoy his life. I mean, he's still, his career still looks like he plays, like he, you know, he still looks great, you know? Well, for sure. But, for sure. but I'm sure he's probably having body. He's been lucky enough not to have any real injuries and 
broken bones and stuff like right. that. So, right. um, but uh, I think he's probably ready to relax a little bit. What do you see him doing after his playing career? Well, he's done a lot of great things with his money, his life. He has investments. He has six Buffalo Wild Wings that's doing really well. You know, he's, he's, he's doing pretty good. He's got some real estate. He's got, he's got other things. He's, he's set up pretty good. I don't see him going broke like a chapter I have in there where um, players like Vin Baker, Lord forgive me, sorry, Vin. Vin Baker and um, the Walker guy, they had over $100 million and end up broke. That I don't understand. You know, yeah, it's, it's just crazy. How do you go broke and you have a hundred million dollars? How? Yeah, I, 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 I don't, don't understand. That. You know, bringing that up real quick, um, the rookie transition for the NBA. Mm-hmm. And again, this is just a question. Because mm-hmm. when we're talking about players going broke mm-hmm. um, after their careers are over, do you feel that there should be more from the NBA? And it's just a question um, that can assist the players about life after basketball. And I'm asking this because they came up before um, I had a conversation with a bunch of parents, um, I think two years ago at all star and it was brought up and we were just saying, you know, um, a lot of parents were voicing, you know, my son needs help or, you know what I mean? And, and, and they were saying, yeah, but it's, it's us as parents or, you know what I mean? The people that you have involved in your life that should be helping you. But to me, I agreed with that. But to me, I just thought that maybe there should be some chapter within the transitional period, the rookie transition that they give them, you know what I mean? That they make them go through the year after they're playing that should at least help them and say, look, this is, you're going to become into a lot of money. A lot of these kids didn't come into, you know what I mean? They didn't come from the $10 million family. They didn't. So now they went from having a little bit of money to a lot of money and they don't know how to manage it. So do you feel that there should be something from the onset from the NBA that can teach them um, how to at least start off and manage their money moving forward once they're out of the NBA? I feel like the NBA should. I think like they should put something in place for not only one year, for probably three years, mm-hmm. where it's mandatory that they go to. Ultimately, the player, I mean, see, you can't impose anything. You can't make them right. do it. No, but no. just like in college, if you have a curriculum and you have to follow it to be a part of that program, mm-hmm. then that's what it is. Right. And then you may have some players rebelling, well, this is a violation of my Fifth Amendment rights. It might be a whole bunch of controversy to come along with that. That's probably why it does not exist. Because I'm sure they had this proposed to them before, and then they probably had a lot of rejections or objection to it. You know, why it's not in place? Because I don't see why it's not in place. But then even in the NBA, so many players get ripped off by these so-called big time agents. So, 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 and oftentimes people that's in money, they get into money so they can steal it. Yeah. You know, you know, that's, so you don't know who to trust. So it's all through trial and error. And you have to just keep your fingers crossed that, you meet the right people that have your best interest at heart, which is really hard to do. And then when you meet those people, the people that does not have your best interest at heart, encourage you to get rid of the people who does, you know, because they become your friends. So then you think that they like you. So they know just how to give you that lip service to get you to do what they want. And that's what I call the groupies. And they have the male groupies as well. 
or the bandwagon jump on us. They come posing as this and posing as that. And you need to, okay, another thing is check everybody's background. If yes. it say, if it says that they're a thief, if they steal a piece of jeans, a pair of jeans when they were young, they're a thief. Do not trust them. And I'm telling you this, and, and the person who knows what I'm talking about, he knows who I'm talking about. And I really don't care. He knows what I'm talking about. So, so don't trust people. And if you see that they make a mistake, if they made a mistake, if you, if you have contractual issues, fire them. Don't hire them after you have contractual issues where it looks like money has been funneled. If you find stuff around where it looks like they've been not honest with you and they've been going through your child and not you after they've made a promise to be honest with you, get rid of them right then. Perfect. Love that. Advice. Seriously. Um, really. So thank you. Thank you so much. I, I, it's really important that a lot of people. Yeah. Know so this. listen, so um, let's not leave that up to the NBA. Let's get our sons while we have that relationship with them and we do it. That's right. You put the proper that's team right. in place, but before you put that team in place, make sure you do extensive background checks on these people that you put in place because you can't do it. You're going to have, you're going to need a team once they get to that level and making all that money, yeah. but make sure the team that you put in place, you do a background and extensive background check. Cause like a hundred percent, right. Cause like I mentioned earlier, most people get in these positions to be able to have access to this kind of money for their own benefit. I've seen it happen. Yeah way too much in these last 17 years. I'm a, I'm a veteran here, guys. So I've seen it all. Well, I've seen it all. Yes. Yes. You are a seasoned mom. And that's why I love listening to you because like you said, you've seen it all. You've been through so much and the NBA has changed so much. And you are witness to all the changes that have happened since, since what, 2004 when he got drafted. Mm -hmm. So, so I love what you're teaching. Um, which to me goes back to your book because your book is transitional. It goes throughout the years. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure when people are, will be reading your book, they'll be able to see the changes and that'll help people um, to prepare for the future. It's, 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 there's a lot to prepare for. Um, and it just hits you in the face all of a sudden, mm -hmm. right? Like we're saying, our, our thank, thank God that our boys have to go to one year, at least in college first, but because it gives them a little gap that at least they can learn a little bit about life other than becoming millionaires. Or right one high year removed out of little... high school. Yes. Yes. So, or so, 19. Exactly. And they're still young. Or 19. Yeah. That's but right. that's, but that's the collective bargaining agreement right now that can easily change as well, because now they have, yeah. or, or, or my opinion is put them in the developmental league. Only players mm -hmm. that you plan to bring up to the NBA, not just a, just to make a squad. You know, like if you have players that instead of going to prep school that does not want to go to college or doesn't have the ability to go to college and he's a really great athlete, then put him through the, the developmental league so he can get better for the next year and also give them classes. That's what I think the NBA yes. should put in place. And during this year, the classes should be financial literacy classes, you know, um, logical thinking classes, classes like that, like pre-law classes to make them think better, yeah. especially the young. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that because if you put that in place, 
You're not literally telling someone what to do. You're provoking their thought process. I mean, if you look at the the WNBA, they have to go to college. They have to. And there there you go again. They don't go from high school. The biasness between male and female athletes. You know, it's just a difference in women and female. And we just have to accept that as women. We're just, you know, different. We expect to be diff- the same on some levels. It's, a, it's a definitely a social bias against us. It's for yeah. sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. But for me, if I were a WNBA mom, I would much prefer that my daughter go through college first um, before her professional. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, you're only going to be a professional player for a certain amount of years. What are you going to do when you come out? You have to know, you have to have some business sense or have some sort of idea what your career College is great be. for everybody, every athlete, but you don't have yeah. to stay in college to get your career if you can make a million dollars. I mean, you can go, you go to college to get a, to get a scholarship, to get a loan, to go get a job, to be in debt. A child coming out of college shouldn't be in debt over $100,000. That's what happened to the normal people in our society. Yes. But an athlete gets free education gets adorned the whole time they're in college and then goes most of them well not most a small percentage goes to the elite status of the world and then they yeah. they move on to be the businessmen of the world if they have the right yeah. team you know that's so right. that's right so so i would say if you have the chance to make money make the money and then go to college well, with the men, at least they always have the option of going back to college too. Right? Women too. We have the option of going yes, back to yes. school. Yes, yes. Oh, no, no. Yeah, I was talking about the like WNBA players versus NBA players. Oh, okay. I mean, WNBA players, they, gra- they graduate. Yeah, so because they have no other choice. They have no other choice. That's why the right. NBA should set up their own college. The WNBA and NBA should set up their own college where they're training you already for the whole four years you're there. And you only uh, you, you for to be a pro, right? Like that, mm-hmm. right? That's what they should do. The college of the MBA. That's what they should do. That's different. Real talk. And then they teach all these things through that program because nowadays, like 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 the basic information is math and English, right? So you teach mm-hmm. math and English, but then you teach the things that you learn through life. Like nowadays, they're doing like group sessions in college, which is better than individual sessions because now you're preparing yourself for afterwards. Like you have the group discussions and stuff like that. So do that in the MBA, like have a four-year MBA college. And only the elite players can attend. You know, the players that you know are going and people are viring to get into this college. So now you have some players who and, you know, you just get them ready. Like, don't put them in that system for the SAT and ACT because some people don't test well. It doesn't mean you're dumb. Mm. You just don't test well. That's right. So don't put that yeah. pressure on them. Like, all these pressures people put on people to excel, it doesn't mean they're not, that they're not great. It just means that they have a problem with that particular situation. Yes. You know, with, yes, that's true. right. That don't mean that they can ace something if most people don't, some people, when they're under testing situations, get nervous energy, all sorts of stuff. It doesn't mean that they can't do the job. It just means that that little tiny process is something about their personality that doesn't do that well. I love that. That, that again, facts, because you have some kids, like you said, that just don't, school is different right? or testing. Like is there's different. too much it's pressure, difficult. too much pressure to yeah. excel. Yeah, it's overwhelming. Right. Yep. Right. Like, yep. like you don't have to be 
a, a PhD to be a basketball player. So yeah. why put that pressure on them? Yeah. You know, yeah, okay, put it in place. You have to go to college, but you go to college while you're in the NBA. Yeah. Because you can have a college no, of no, the, right, that. have a college of the NBA. That's what you do. And for players yeah. who's been in there already who want to graduate, have them come there and graduate. They have enough money to do yeah. it. You know, oh, so. Thank you for that thought. Yeah. So. Thank you for that thought. That is so different. And it's so true because there could be something that's put in place for them. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, thank you very much. You know what I mean? You've done your due diligence. You're a player, but we have this here for you. You know, classes that you can take and assistance that can just help you. I mean, and for the transitional career as well. Like, the, like right. they can have in and out. Right. Like they can have different programs with different colleges, with UCLA, USC, with all the colleges. They can have programs with for those players, yeah. so they can continue their education to transition into their transitioning career. You know, they can set it up like that. You just need the people to put that process in place. But because there's so much money floating around, they don't care about that. Ultimately, everybody wants to make millions of dollars and they're already doing it. So once you're comfortable, you don't think about anything else until you get to that place that you have to. Yeah. You know, so. And it's true. And a lot of players don't think to go back to school after the fact. Right. They feel like, yeah, I have all these millions. It's like, great. You may have all these millions and you're a wonderful um, male or female. However, you got to learn how to keep those millions. Right. And you were never taught that. Right. You know what I mean? Sometimes a lot of players were never taught that. They have no idea. And then, like you said, they're broke a couple of years after because all they did was sit around and spend because there was no one there to say, you know what, maybe you should invest. Or maybe you should put some money aside. And for them, a rainy day doesn't exist. It'll never come because here they're, they grew up with their parents who paid for everything. Then they get to school and it's free. Everything is paid for then. So they don't understand anything until they're actually in it. And even then you got financial advisors that are paying everything for them. So they don't know what it is. And themselves sometimes. For them you know and I mean? themselves. So be careful who the financial Amen. manager is. Always have more than one person have a gatekeeper don't have one person yeah. doing nothing always have yeah. two three people doing something it could be part-time it could it don't have to be always it could be and always hire a, a forensic accountant every two three mm -hmm. years so you can see oh, where sure. the mistakes are and stuff like that yeah you always yep sometimes you gotta audit the auditor right you have to you, know what I mean? you have to yes, you can't yes, trust it's... nobody Especially yeah. with the money. You just yeah. can't. You can't. Yeah. No, and especially when players get to a certain level. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's sad because you have some players that make, I don't know, one, two, three million for their entire career and it's gone. Gone. I do. That, that's only one, two, living. three million is only a million after taxes and expenses. Yeah, that, Child exactly. support. Exactly. Child support is what my, breaks them. Thank you. Thank you. And half the time you can't buy a house or you can't do anything. You can't do anything. You just got to live like the common yeah. man, especially the NBA players who's yeah. only made minimum wage. Yep. You know, that's when yep. you have to be smart. That's when you need your degree. That's when you need all of that, because that can only, that could be the caveat to you having more money than the ones who made it while they were playing. 
you know, right. so that's just right. got to be smart about you get it. That 800,000. That's right. You get that $800,000 salary. You got to let that stretch. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How, you know what I mean? This is where I think they should be smarter and learn to invest because that's got to go somewhere because mm -hmm. you might be that one-time player and that's all you have. But you have to make money, good right? investments. So the best investment is real estate. The best investment yes. is not the stock market because you lose no. a lot on the stock market. The best investment is real estate because you can't lose in real yeah. estate. If you're in real estate, um, you, you, your investment is consistently growing, your property is appreciating in value and, mm -hmm. and buying big houses to live in is not a good investment. Buying income yeah, property is, good, is a great investment. You know, to say I live in a big I old agree. mansion with no income property, that makes absolutely no sense. So buying income property is the best investment. That's another bit of, that, bit of advice. Buy yeah. real estate. That's the best investment that anyone can invest in. Real talk. Oh, for sure. Seriously, because yeah, your, your no, money is consistently no. growing. Yeah. Yep. I, I was, I had that conversation with my son and I was like, you know, you buy, you buy, like you said, real estate. And when you're ready to sell, either way, it's going to sell more than what you put in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you're going to make money. Mm -hmm. You're going to make money. You know what I mean? And he wasn't that, oh, let me go buy this $10 million. Well, he could afford it anyway. But he wasn't that that person that was saying, let me buy this big, big, big house that I can't afford. No, he was like, I'm going to live within my means. I'm going to buy what I can afford. And now he's teaching himself. He's learning. He's asking questions about, okay, well, I have this amount of money. What could I do with it? Because I want it to be available to me later on in the future. So at least he's looking for the future because they have a lot of players that don't. That's the truth. Like I tell my, I, you got to keep it real. You know what I mean? I'm like, you, it looks, it's nice now, but 10 years from now, let's see what kind of conversation we're going to have. You're going to be just as common as me. So I tell people all the time, you know what I mean? We got to teach our kids what to do with their money. Not everybody has, you know what I mean? This multi-million dollar, you know what I mean? Situation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And even like you, and to your point, when you're saying, even when they do, sometimes they end up broke anyway. Right. So it's really about and what, bad business what partners. That's right. Because the business oh, partners end up taking all the money because of the contract you enter in. Like you have to know how to read a contract yes. as well. Like there's yes. different things with A shares and B shares in a contract. You have to know yeah. what they mean and what your value is. Even though you're putting up all the money, you have to know how to read those contracts because at the end of the day, you signed them. And most times these yeah. basketball players, they aren't paying attention because they're playing basketball. And that's, yeah. and that's why things go disarray. Once they're done, they really get into what really was going on all this time, you know, but then. Or sometimes they leave it for the wrong person to read it for them, right? Right. And then they all are in cahoots. And, you know, yeah. the whole team yeah. are in cahoots. And you were asking me about Trevor's transitional career. I think he's set up pretty nicely. And he's gone and gotten his degree from UCLA. He's worked on that mm -hmm. during the off season. So he's putting himself in in great positions to always have what he has now. Yeah. So yeah. his lifestyle doesn't change. And that's important. Very important. No, very you know, important. That's important. Thank you for saying that. No, thank you for yeah. saying that because it is important. Okay. So what tip would you give a mom on how to deal with a coaching decision that they do not agree with? Um... I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know because most people, most parents get mad and they don't go say anything. They just sit there and talk amongst each other. They don't say anything. I think the best thing to do is make a meeting with the coach and go and have a sit down and see what it is you can do to help your son to, you mean in the NBA or 
or in any area in their career? Any area in their career. Well, I think it's best to be able to have open dialogue. And as I was saying, as women, we're, we're looked upon as we're not important. I don't know why that is, but in every area, even in basketball, you know, it's like, it's like we have to fight for our limitations. Yeah. So, so it's very difficult being a woman in sports. It really is. I mean, that has been my experience. Yeah. Because at some point they want a man to take over. Yeah. So I think the tip should be to um, try to stay present at all times because the male mind works differently when they become a certain age. And that's just have to do with maturation. Yeah. You know, so you just have to be certain of your, your position in their lives. But sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to sit there and talk to your son if you don't have a relationship with, because the, if you look at the dads, it's a whole different thing when the dad yeah. go talk to them. Yeah. But when the mom does, it's a problem. Yeah, sometimes it's a different you know? level of respect. Yeah, I agree. Exactly. Yeah. So- I know what you're saying. So oftentimes people just gossip and talk and they don't say anything. And then the son falls off and then it's a personal problem with the coach and the child. And I mean, there's nothing you could do about it. Yeah. No, sometimes it's just been embarrassed. Right. So far, it looks like it's nothing you could do about it because they make themselves so indisposable to the mom seem like to me in my experience, like they seem unapproachable. Yeah. And then the son, now, now this is a, like, like, this is a, and then the son being a man, he don't want you no more to do it. So now you have to transition into being in the background. So that's the tough transition for the mom to transition away from letting the son now handle his affairs instead of you. It's true. Now you can, you can be the, the sounding board that he talks to, but once it gets to the NBA mom, it's time for you to not say nothing. Yeah. No, it's true. Uh, it's, it's, as moms, well, we're so instrumental in getting the career going. Mm-hmm. And then once they're there now, to be voiceless sometimes can be difficult for some moms. It really can. Or even fathers, you know what I mean? It's difficult because you're like, wait, hold on a second. But right. for me and my experience, I was like, okay, you know what? I helped, but now it's like, just you do you because I'm not a pro. I, I'm not an NBA coach. I'm just using the NBA for me, for an example. I'm not an NBA coach, right? You know what I mean? Like my son was hired. Let me not say nothing. You know what I mean? Like just, let's just move forward. So what advice would you give to a player on how to deal with a tough teammate? Well, just know that nothing anyone else does has anything to do with you. Love it. So, Love it. When, so, so but you have to be evolved to get that. Because oftentimes, if someone walks up to you and says, oh, you immediately come back with that type of aggression. Yeah. Not recognizing that, okay, what this person is going through, what's going on? You know, I have nothing. I didn't contribute anything toward that. Yeah. So you have to step back sometimes and, and look at things from a different perspective. Yes. So if you instill that, but then they're men, they have all this testosterone going around and a mm-hmm. difficult teammate, like there's different levels to that. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Dif- yeah. Difficult teammate in what sense? Um, it could be anything. It could be whatever your mind goes to. I don't know. Trevor is 
playing a game, one of his teammates is just getting on him. No matter what Trevor does is wrong in the teammate's mind. How would, and Trevor came to you and said, Ma, this guy is like, yo, he just won't get off my back. What would you advise Trevor to do on how to deal you know, that's, with this? That's happened. That's yeah. happened early in yeah. his career. That happens early in his career. Like, avoid him. Just yeah. do your job. Do what you have to do. Just ignore him. But here's what happened, though. When Trevor was a rookie mm-hmm. in New York, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember Tim Thomas and Malik Rose. Okay, yeah. You remember Malik Rose and Tim Thomas? Malik Rose, yes. Tim Thomas. Trevor had to drop them both to the ground. Like, they tried him in practice as a rookie, and he had to fight with them and beat them both up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's true and then that's why and this was in practice okay. so trevor set his standards early in the nba that's why nobody never messed with him yeah. that's why when steph curry isaiah was commentating a game one time and steph and trevor had gotten to a little altercation or something and trevor was walking off and steph was walking behind trevor and trevor looked back and Isaiah said, Steph, if you know good for yourself, you better leave Trevor Reza alone. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Some players just don't want to be messed with. I mean, and it is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Have it you ever been to is. a game? That's it. Have you ever been to a game and Trevor got into it with another player? Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, but what do you on do the long? opposite team. Oh, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> On the opposite team, nothing. Just know that if he come at him, Trevor's going to whoop his ass. That's all I know. You know, I, my son can fight. Yeah. My son is a great, great, great. He's a great swimmer, a great fighter, a great athlete, great dancer. He's very athletic. You know, he does a lot. But, you know, he won't go start a fight. But if you come yeah. his way, he will sure put up one. Listen, he's you gonna, have to be a good fighter himself. to beat him. Because here's, here's what used to happen. When they were young kids, they used to get in the gloves to, to dispute. Like I used to have all the boys around. And when there was a, a dispute, they'll get in the gloves to settle the dispute. Okay. So that's how they learned to fight. They, they right. grew up in the gloves. So he's a really good fighter. He really is. So, and Natural I think, I, yeah, I think it's reputation is known in the NBA that don't mess with him. Yeah. yeah he's not going to mess with you, but don't mess with him either. Oh, I got you. Yeah. I got you. And you you. never heard anything about him. (laughs) (laughs) He established himself early. So (laughs) what is it like for you to be the courtside mom to Trevor Ariza? Well, I just sit there and get into it with people who say stuff and defend him. And, you know, I listen most of the times I get loud. I watch the games and, and just say what I feel. And then after the game, I would tell him what he could do better. That's how we used to be. Like, I would talk to him about what he did do well and what he didn't do well, how he could work on this. He used to call me after every game for my analysis of his game. Really, eh? Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, my son and I, we used to text each other. As soon as he, I mm-hmm. was watching the game and I would see him get off the court and I'm texting right away. And mm-hmm. I, I always want to know how he felt about the way he played. And then the minute he tells me, that's when I'll go into giving him my little two cents. And, and, and it's mm-hmm. fun because it's like how mm-hmm. we would connect, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So since you love to cook, tell me, what is that go-to dish that you make that Trevor cannot live without? 
He loves my macaroni and cheese. He loves a lot of my dishes. Like I cook for the whole teams. What team does your son play on? Toronto Raptors. Okay, I never cooked for Toronto. And what other team has he played on? Orlando Magic. Okay, that was before. How old is your son? Oh, he's 28. Okay. He's going on his fifth season. I cook for the New York Knicks. I cook for the Sacramento for the um the Kings. What's that? The, who Trevor played for in Sacramento? I mean, in um whenever he played over there, I cooked for the um the uh Hornets. Mm-hmm. I cooked for Atlanta. all the Knicks. I cooked wow. for Houston. And they wow. love, I mean, there were empty dishes. There was nothing left. I put I cooked for Portland. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of people know that I cook and they love my food. Note to self when uh, the Raptors play Miami, (laughs) I'll have to come (laughs) looking for you. (laughs) If I'm there, I might be here running the restaurant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. yes. But whenever you're in town, just call me. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We'll, we'll talk about that offline. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I love to stay connected with the moms. That's so super important. Um, right. And for us to support each other. Right. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm happy for you with your book and your restaurant. So, Thank and we'll you. talk about that after. Um, so other than a basketball, what was one item as a child that he could not live without? Basketball. There was yeah. nothing else. Nothing I'm else. being totally, <laughs> totally honest. Listen, yeah. he had, he had, um, three toys, mm-hmm. a, a red tricycle, you know, one of those popcorn things yeah, with the yeah. eyes, one of those. That's awesome. And all balls. I had about maybe 20, 30 balls around the house. And it was never an option to punish him with his balls because yeah. <laughs> when he was a baby and a little boy, he was very hyper, extremely hyper. And people would say, oh, you need to have him medicated. You need to do this. I'm like, no, I found something that he loved. And it was the basketball. Yeah. So it was his basketball and that's it. And he just played that ball and played that ball. And, and then even when, um, even when, like, I would let him bounce his ball till about nine, 10 o'clock. Cause you know, even when we lived in college in the apartments, you can tell me it's 10 o'clock. The right. people used to be taking the broomsticks and hitting the ceiling. And I'm <laughs> like, it's 10 o'clock. It's not 10 o'clock. And I would have him out there playing with all the college, um, you know, all the other teammates, kids, yeah. and he was always taller, always took it serious, always on um, ball. I have pictures from diapers shooting into Michael Jordan's goals, you know, oh, so he's always, and I didn't let him burn out. Like some kids, even though he played ever since he could play anything, mm-hmm. I didn't let him play on two or three teams at okay. a time, one team at a time. You know, other kids was on five teams, six teams. Like, how do you play on five and six basketball yeah, teams? That's you know, much. so. That, that's mm-hmm. a lot. I find that's a lot. Yeah, I kept I my son so, on one team because I wanted him to focus and I wanted him to feel, I want him to, to live on his commitment. If you're, you know what I mean? If you're going to, if you're saying that you want to play on this team, then I want you to be fully committed and play for this team because then you're going to have mm-hmm. schedule conflicts. You're going to run into, oh, I can't come to practice because I'm here or I can't go to this mm-hmm, game. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. my son too, a lot of people would approach him. I'm like, no, you choose one and that's what you're going to go with. And that's how right. I have to keep, you know what I mean? Because they have to learn at one point, right? What commitment is. Right. They do. Uh, yeah. So did you have a childhood nickname for Trevor? And if so, what was it? Well, I always call him Anthony by his middle name, mm-hmm. but my father calls him Goose. 
(laughs) (laughs) I love it. Was there a reason? Like, how did Goose come along? Like, well, when I when he was born, my father says, "This the little mongoose." I don't know. (laughs) But Goose stuck. But I never called him Goose. Everybody else calls him Goose. My other son Kenny, my his cousins, they all call him Goose. My daddy. Well. I want to wrap it up with my last question. If you could give one piece of advice to another courtside mom, what would it be? What would it be? Any kind of advice? Yep. It's your, it's, it's Lolita's advice. Okay. Choose your financial managers carefully. You're not their friend. Always keep it business with everybody that you hire. They're not your friends. Keep it business because ultimately people are greedy and they're attracted to money and would do anything to sabotage your relationships with your son because they want to get in your position. So be careful of the people you choose along the way. Your sons are going to change as they grow because, you know, they're, they're growing. The women that come in their lives are the biggest influence. So if you can indeed have an influence on their choice, if your son, most times they don't, they don't, they don't ask for your influence because they meet a lot of these girls that goes to them because they hardly have time to go anywhere. And wherever they do go, the girls know they're coming there. So they're yeah. coming to meet them. So you have hardly any any type of control over that but if you do just make sure you guide him very carefully as it relates to the woman that he chooses to have his his life with because it's very important because he's going to be a daughter-in-law forever you know and then the grandchildren and and then there's a lot of resentment that come with new money you know Mm -hmm. people start having attitudes and people start changing and looking at people differently and and I say to the moms, to always have your own life. You know, like your son is a part of your life. Don't make your son your whole life. Like have your own stuff going on. Because yeah. anything can happen. Anything can happen. Don't, don't put yourself in a dependent situation because yeah. it's never good to be dependent. Even though your son, he's not obligated to take care of you. He takes care of you because he wants to. He should because of gratitude. You know, most black boys want to buy their mom a house, retire their moms and set their moms up and do stuff like that. And that's a great thing if they have that kind of gratitude. But you have to always take care of yourself too. You know, make sure you stay focused on you. That's very important. After your son is grown, focus on yourself and what you should do for yourself too put yourself in a better position for yourself. That's such, my advice. Such great advice. Thank you. Cause I, I love your honesty and that's what matters because a lot of parents, they, they think differently, but for me, a fact is a fact and mm-hmm. we're moms. And like I always tell my son, I come first because I was here first before mm. you, I raised you, not the other way around. you know what I mean? And we will laugh about it. And then, so for me, I would tell my son, I love you. You're, you're everything to me, but I have to do my own thing. Do you come first? Do you still come first? To me? To your son. 
to oh yeah like we're, we're really close i mean you know what i mean like where he was always a mama bear like you know what i mean he always everything was mama bear but at the same time his career his career my career is my career like you know what i mean we're two different people and what i'm saying put myself first i'm not saying my kids don't matter because they're everything to me what i'm saying is i recognize that at one point i have to have my own thing and do my own thing um like this part i'll edit this show has nothing to do with my son we don't, we don't even mention him. You know what I mean? Like there's no, there's no mention. Well, you know, Ken Birch is Wendy's son. Like for me, I want it to be the opposite. So I want when people talk about the show, they'll be like, oh, Wendy. Oh, that's Kim's mom. As opposed to the other way around. Like, you know what I mean? So that's important to me because I want to establish who I am and not exactly. through him. Not through exactly. him. You know what right. I mean? I got my degree and I did everything. You go do your degree and you do your thing. You know what I mean? Like I, I go to work. You go to work. So, right. yeah. And so I love your advice because your advice is so honest. And you you mentioned um, uh, the women and you mentioned, you know what I mean, the focus. And you mentioned that for us as women, we have to be us. And that's important because you were Lolita first before you were Lolita as mom exactly. to Trevor exactly. and, and your other kids. So God bless you. Thank you for that, for that honest advice. Um, and... With that said, I am so blessed. Thank you for coming on Courtside Moms and for and for sharing um, uh, your journey with Trevor, uh, letting us know who you are as a courtside mom. Um, Thank you. And for letting us know about your book and your restaurants, because um, I love that. As a mom, you know what I mean? You you raised your child, but Lolita is still doing Lolita. So good for exactly. you. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. So please keep in touch with us at Courtside Moms and let, let's chit chat very soon. Thank you. I will.